even just as a teenager, just kind of knowing, oh, I'm supposed to still be struggling. I'm supposed to still feel this broken because Jesus hasn't returned yet. And right now I'm still a work in progress and God is growing me in godliness, but I'm not there yet. Hey friends, welcome to the Hope and Help Project, the podcast that cultivates compassionate biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. I'm your host, Christine Chappell, and I'm so glad you're here to join in on today's conversation with author and writer, Lindsay Carlson. Today, we'll be chatting about living life as a Christian teen girl, some of the common struggles that come along with that particular stage in life, and how the gospel of Jesus Christ offers girls the hope and help they need to grow in godliness. If this is your first time listening to the show, be sure to learn more about the Hope and Help Project by visiting faithfulsparrow.com forward slash project. The link is posted in the show description, and by visiting that page, you can learn all about the mission of the podcast. Before we get started, let me introduce you to our guest. Lindsay Carlson is the mother of five children and has served alongside her husband in pastoral ministry for 14 years, currently at Imprint Community Church in Baltimore, Maryland. She enjoys teaching and discipling women through writing and public speaking, but most often through the context of the local church. She is the author of a brand new book called Growing in Godliness, A Teen Girl's Guide to Maturing in Christ. Hey, Lindsay, thanks so much for joining us today on the show. Thanks for having me. Now, you just released a new book entitled Growing in Godliness, A Teen Girl's Guide to Maturing in Christ, and it really aims at speaking to the young Christian woman who is trying to understand what in the world does it mean to grow up in this world and into Christ at the very same time. Can you give us some background on the book and why you were compelled to write it? Absolutely. So my daughter was approaching her 13th birthday, and I had this kind of sense of, man, here come the teen years. And I did not enjoy my teen years. I felt like they were challenging. I felt like I didn't, I grew up in the church, but I didn't grow up with a sense of understanding who I was in Christ. And so as my daughter is growing up in our home, she does know the Lord and she is familiar with the gospel, but I still felt like, man, as she goes into the teen years, I really just want to give her something that kind of equips her to understand the process of growth and what this looks like. And so when she's feeling all of those anxious, awkward, growing up kind of typical feelings that teenagers are always grappling with, I want her to be able to have some kind of practical tools just to turn to and say, okay, this is how the gospel can really affect these uncomfortable, awkward teen years. And so that became Growing in Godliness. Well, I was so excited to learn about your book because I can totally relate. I have a daughter and she is about to turn 13 here in September. And so the minute I saw your title and I knew it was for Christian teen girls, I was just doing a little parade around the house. So excited that there was something that was written to speak directly into her life, especially because there are so many other conflicting messages that she hears in school and through media and TV shows. So I was just super excited. So I want to be sure that for the listener who is listening 
and for you and I to be clear that I want to have this conversation just as if a teen girl was listening in. So if you are a teenage girl listening to this podcast, I'm super excited that you're here. And we want to help speak some some hope into your life because we both used to be teen girls. And so we know how difficult it can be. You know, Lindsay, that sometimes it can be really confusing to understand everything that comes with being a Christian. And maybe we don't even really know what it means to be a follower of Christ. We just know that Jesus died for our sins, and so now we get to go to heaven. Before we dive too far into understanding what godliness is and what God's purpose is for our lives, can you remind us of the before picture, so before Christ, the after picture, and what we can expect in between? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that we're usually in the church world, pretty familiar with the before picture of being dead in our trespasses and our sins, like Ephesians 2 talks about. Um, And we're following the course of this world. We're separated from God and we're broken. And then the after picture, we know that one day we will be made complete and the blood of Christ will cleanse us from our sins and we'll be made new creations. And we kind of have these two very different views of like either completely broken or completely made new. And we're not really as comfortable with kind of the messy middle of the in-between. So when we've come to Christ and we've said, okay, I do trust Jesus for salvation and one day I will be made new, but right now I'm still struggling with sin and I'm still struggling to be holy. And I go to school and I'm tempted and I do things that I'm embarrassed that I've done or I gossip or I lie And I think, man, do I really know Jesus? And I think that a lot of the time, whether you're struggling with an assurance of salvation or whether you're just struggling with why am I not being holy in the way that I expected I would be when I came to Christ, I think we get really kind of stuck in that place where we don't know how to grow and how to change. And so I think that it is helpful to understand that that's something just to be expected, that um, I think sometimes as a teenager, you can kind of attribute spiritual immaturity to the fact that you're just a teenager, like, well, when I'm an adult, I'll figure this out. But I think it's helpful to understand, I mean, maybe you can agree with this, but as adults, we're still in that same confusing mm-hmm. period. Yeah. And so we're still trying to figure this out too. And I think that even just as a teenager, just kind of knowing like, oh, I'm supposed to still be struggling. I'm supposed to still feel this broken um, because Jesus hasn't returned yet. And right now I'm still a work in progress and God is growing me in godliness, but I'm not there yet because Christ hasn't returned. He hasn't made all things new. So right now I'm just being conformed to the image of God and that is uncomfortable and that takes time and effort and work. Absolutely. It takes time and effort and work for everyone, every single Christian on the planet. And, you know, sometimes we're not saved in our teenage years. I know for me personally, I was saved when I was 28. And so as a 28 year old, I had to struggle and wrestle with these things. And I had to struggle with the reality that I was in Christ in the first 30 days. I felt like I was walking on air. But then I started to get really angry that I was not changing as quickly as I wanted to. And I didn't understand, you know, really what was required was a process. I want to take a minute now because there's a term called sanctification. 
and maybe not all of the girls listening today may be familiar with it, but you touched on it in your answer just now about just it being that process of conforming into Christ-likeness or basically just turning more into uh, how Christ is and his behaviors, his words, and his actions. And so sanctification is a mouthful of a word, even for some grown-ups. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that all Christians struggle with the process of growing in godliness because it is hard work. What does it mean that we are being sanctified by God? And what makes the process something that we really need to pay attention to versus something that just kind of happens naturally as we get older? Yeah, that's a really great question. So, you know, in some ways when we grow, um, it, it does just happen naturally. Babies pretty much just learn to walk. They learn to talk. Um, and it just kind of happens without having to supplement with a lot of like extra outside help. And so once we are saved, we kind of expect that God is just going to continue to do all of the work for us. And in a way, he does do the work through the power of the Holy Spirit, but he uses the process of sanctification to kind of graft us in and make us part of that. Wayne Grudem says it's an all day, everyday process that's just making you more and more free from your sin and more and more like Christ in your actual life. And so I like to think about that work as a work that God is compelling and God is pushing me into, but he asks me to be a part of it and to take his hand and to actually be a part of what he's doing. And so that just means trying to strive for godliness, trying to want to be like Christ, trying to learn about who God is, trying to put sin to death. And so we think of Philippians 2, 12 through 13, that says, work out your salvation, which is active work on my part. But then it also says, God is at work to will and to work for his good pleasure. So it's this very kind of interesting mix of I work but God works, but we both work together. And I still have a really hard time kind of parsing that out, but it's encouraging to know that God is the one that is leading this work in my life. Yeah, I mean, that's just a recurring theme in the Christian life because, you know, that scripture you mentioned and, and the conversation we're having now, these are conversations I've had with other guests on the show, that, that idea of, you know, it takes our moral effort combined mm -hmm. with divine enablement. So that's a big word, too. So our efforts with the Holy Spirit, and that is what we work together to become more like Christ. And grace is for the times when we don't measure up <laughs> in that Absolutely. process. And so I think an important part part of approaching godliness as a teen especially is to start to ask people to help you to understand the concept of grace. That's something that I'm working through with my daughter right now is, you know, she understands I have my salvation in Christ, but I still feel like I need to earn heaven. I still mm -hmm. feel like it's not fair I get to go to heaven. It's not fair Christ died for me. I should have been the one. And so just dealing mm -hmm. with well, what's grace about? And we need to learn how grace is is a big part of growing in godliness as we work with the Holy Spirit to really work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Now, no matter what age you are or even what gender you are, we can all relate to the challenges that we have in finding our identity. Maybe we play sports and so we think of ourselves as athletes. Maybe we're painters or musicians, so we label ourselves as artistic. And perhaps our strong suit is science or math, and so we think of ourselves as 
intelligent academics, whatever it might be, the urge to align with some kind of identity, especially in the teen years, seems to be overwhelming at times. And perhaps there are even times when this pull causes us to pretend to be someone we're not, or to do things we wouldn't normally do for the sake of fitting in. So could you talk a little bit about what's going on inside of our hearts when we face this identity crisis as teenagers? And how does our faith help to keep us anchored in these times? So I think ultimately that struggle kind of reveals a desire for love at the very root of it. We want to be loved. And so we want to find things that we're really good at to find our identity in because we think that that's going to bring us love and approval and acceptance um, among our peers or in our family. And so, and it just feels really good to be appreciated and loved and desired. And so I think as a teenager, I wish that I had at the time realized that it was a false inaccurate sense of acceptance that I was really looking for because that was a shiftable identity. So if it's something that can be moved or taken away um, based on circumstances changing or whether you're growing. So, I mean, I think about things like for a long time, I found my identity in being able to sing and being a vocalist. And then I went through a period in college where I lost my voice for several months, couldn't sing, could hardly talk. And it really rattled me because all of a sudden I couldn't do this thing that I had found so much joy and acceptance in being able to do. And that was a shifted identity that kind of revealed, wait, this is not who I am no matter what happens. This is not something that I can base who I am on for the long term. And so I think that what we have to look at is as Christians, our identity is as a follower of Christ. And that means that we are a beloved child, we're forgiven, we're chosen, we're accepted. And so now we're a worshiper of Christ. And that is our identity, is someone who is loved and accepted by God. And so that is an unchanging, unshifting reality that is the ultimate guiding force in our lives now. And so I think that we can kind of check what we're feeling our identity is based on, okay, am I feeling accepted because I am loved by God? Or am I feeling loved and accepted because of what I bring to the table? Which is kind of like what you just said in your other question about um, wanting to kind of earn your favor and earn your merit before God. We're uncomfortable with the fact that our identity as followers of Christ is in Christ's righteousness and in Christ's performance and in his perfection. And so being able to stake our identity on Christ is really saying hey, I have no other identity, but as a follower of Jesus, that is the only one that matters. With my daughter in particular, in our conversations, you know, sometimes it's hard to really grasp that because you're in, you know, as a teenager, you're in school. People have expectations on you. They have expectations about your grades and your performances. And so there's a lot of performance expectations really as Mm -hmm. a teenager because you know you're getting ready to go to college and maybe you're going to take some testing or some sort of application that's very important to you and so it's difficult to separate those types of expectations and demands and and the striving you know for achievement in that area and then at the same time learning to give 
grace and live in God's grace and know that ultimately it's good to be a good student, but ultimately it's not my identity to be a good student or my identity to get that scholarship. And then as you get older, you have those expectations. They just come in a different form. It comes in the form Mm of, you know, you're an employed person. And so you've got a, a boss that you need to answer to, or you're a mom and you've got children that you need to be managing. And so it's just going to look different in different seasons. But I know specifically for the teenagers, it's trying to figure out what does this identity in Christ mean for the achievements that I do want to pursue? But how can I make sure that my achievements don't become idols or things that I worship, which will be really destructive in the long term? Purpose is another area where we sometimes get confused. In fact, I'm not sure many of us have spent a good amount of time really thinking about our purpose in life. It can be even more confusing to think of God as having a purpose for our lives. We can be tempted to feel like, hey, God's trying to steal the show. He's trying to make me do something, but I want to do this thing over here. Don't we all just want to do what we want to do without someone else having a say in the matter? Would you help us unpack what a Christian's purpose is in life and why it's not some boring, joyless, unsatisfying call? Why can we be excited about living into God's plan for our lives? So I think that purpose and kind of what we just talked about with identity really go hand in hand because ultimately when we're trying to find our identity as a teenager, what we're really saying is, what am I really good at so that I can take that identity and live with purpose what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. So when I think of um, my daughter's also going through that kind of season where she, in, in our area, we have high schools where you actually apply like college applications. So they're picking a major basically in eighth grade wow. to study for ninth through 12th. And so it's really a lot of stress to kind of narrow down. What are you going to do with the rest of your life when you're 13 years old? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, it would be easy for my daughter to find her identity in, okay, here are the three things that I'm really good at. And so therefore that must be God's purpose for my life. And so now let me run after these things really hard. What that can tend to do, whether or not we call it purpose, um, what it can tend to do is box us in to a very small little box that says, this is the only way you're going to be pleasing to God. This is the only way that you're going to be happy and satisfied in life. And so then, for instance, we've watched some of her friends, you know, maybe not get into the school that they thought that they would like to get into or not get into the major area that they thought they were going to study. And it can really just destroy dreams for these growing women who have these big, exciting dreams and ideas and at 13 are feeling like their purpose has been shattered because one little step didn't go the way that they planned for it to go. And so what I'm hoping that teenagers like my daughter will see is that it's because you have too narrow of a vision of purpose, that purpose isn't like God orchestrating, okay, Madeline, that's my daughter, Madeline, you have to do this, this, and this, because this is who I created you to be. This is what you have to do. It's much broader as a Christian, our purpose and the reason that we exist and the primary goal of our life is to bring God glory in all that we do. So my daughter is capable of bringing God glory in a lot of different ways. It does not have to be in the specific area of study that she picks in ninth grade. And I think about, you know, when I was in ninth grade, I think I kind of thought I was going to be in musical theater. I thought, you know, I love doing musical theater, so maybe I'm destined for Broadway and I'm going to do this and this and this. And so I went to college and I picked musical theater as my major. And now, however many years later it's been, 
I have five kids. I have not done any musical theater as a career, but I'm not disappointed about that. I don't regret any of my choices. And I have a beautiful, full, rich life that I am so thankful for all of the gifts that God has given me. And I know that I'm living on purpose and I'm living out the ways that God has called me to live because all of my choices, I mean, not all, we cannot say all of our choices, <laughs> but, but I know that I have been striving to bring God glory, whether it's as a mom, whether it's as a writer, whether it's as a pastor's wife, all of these different things, just one at a time, I've been saying, can I bring glory to God in doing this? And so it, it boils purpose down to a checkbox. Does this glorify God? Yes or no. And it helps me to make minute by minute decisions that live out God's broader purpose for me as a Christian who is just seeking to glorify God with my life. And then it, it really kind of gives you freedom to not feel like you might be going the wrong direction all the time with every single choice that you have to make. We understand a little bit better about some of the components of maturing in Christ as a teenager, but how can we grow our ability to trust in God, especially like you were just talking about when things in our world start to spin out of control. We don't get into that high school we wanted to go to. We don't get that scholarship that we've been working really hard at, filling out all the paperwork and putting all our eggs in one basket for a particular school we really wanted to go to. I mean, we can believe Jesus saved us from our sins and freely gave us eternal life, but those truths Sometimes they don't always come to mind when we're really upset about not getting what we want or when something happens in our lives that we cannot understand. So what if we don't necessarily have a problem believing God for our salvation, but we do have a problem just in the daily nitty gritty details of trusting God with the plan that he has for our lives? Well, I'd say just being honest about that is the best step um, because I mean, if we're honest, and we're human, then we're probably going to struggle with trusting God because that's what everyone who has been following God for the entire history of humanity has been having a problem with. Right. So um, it helps me to understand that there's not something wrong with me if I think, wow, it's really hard to trust God. Um, I'm absolutely 100% normal um, as a person who struggles to trust God. So um, this is something that God knows about me and God also offers to help me in. And so I would say that it's ultimately a problem with trusting that God is in control because we maybe don't understand uh, that God is in control and that he does sovereignly hold all things together. Every single thing that happens, happens because he allowed it to happen. And so we can trust that God is in control, but we can also trust that God is good. And so God is good and in control. So that means that the things that happen to us or that he allows to happen to us or the things that he says yes to or the things that he says no to are all gracious and merciful instruments that he's using for our good and for his glory. And so when someone is struggling to trust God, I really kind of look at it as an opportunity for tutoring. Like, so if you think about when you're um, taking a subject in school and maybe you're struggling in math and you don't understand a specific concept, it would be easy to just go, wow, that's a really dumb concept. I hate long division. Forget it. I don't need long division. But really long division connects all the other pieces together. And so you're not really going to be able to progress in your understanding of higher level math thinking if you don't understand basic 
lower level things like long division. And so I think that as we learn to trust God, if we hit a point where we're like, man, I don't understand that. I don't feel like God is good. Why can I not trust God? Pressing into God and saying, Lord, I don't understand this. I feel like you're not good. I feel like you're not in control. I feel like you're not kind. Show me in your word who you say you are and help me to understand your character because these are going to be forming, shaping truths that will affect what you believe to be true about God in all of the rest of the unfolding events that go on throughout your life. And so you're working on building blocks of building that trust so that as you hit other things in your life, you go, you know what? I remember when I felt like I couldn't trust God in eighth grade and I felt like he was giving up on me, but I pressed in and, and my mom gave me that really great Psalm to read and it really gave me strength and, and God showed up. And I remember that the reason I didn't get this is because this happened, you know, and you're watching for patterns of God showing himself to you and revealing his character so that you can learn by experience what it looks like and what it feels like to actually place your trust in God. And even as you work through those things, I think one of the, the really important aspects of leaning into God, even when you're struggling to trust him, is if it forces us to preach to ourselves a more eternal perspective on the things that we're going through, you know, so that our suffering or our disappointments aren't going to last forever. We have a treasure in heaven. We have, you know, the inheritance of Christ and those terms might, you know, you may not understand who's, you know, those who are listening may not understand what those mean, but that'd be a great opportunity to ask mom or dad or a mentor about, you know, what does, what do I have in heaven? What is my treasure mm -hmm. in heaven? Why is that something that can comfort me when I'm struggling with God on an issue? or something that I, you know, really wanted to get and didn't or an illness that came out of nowhere. Well, I want to have us talk about a topic that sometimes for teenage girls and moms can be a little bit awkward, but we're going to talk about it. Okay. It's the subject okay. of moodiness <laughs> because that, right. I mean, we, none of us really want to admit that we can have periods of being unreasonably moody, but it happens and that's okay. And <laughs> so we want to talk about it and, and give you some hope and some help for that. So in your book, you write, quote, while the message of follow your heart may be the natural and popular cry of the teenage girl's heart, it isn't the key to unlocking holiness. And that could be a hard concept to grasp because our hearts and our emotions seem so strong and overwhelming. It's like they were meant to rule over us. Can you help us understand some practical ways we can work towards navigating our moodiness and how we can develop a desire to become more holy in our daily thoughts, words, and interactions with others? I will say that any of this that I have learned, it is only because I first did it wrong so many times. <laughs> so I was a very moody teenager and I will let the record show that if my parents happen to listen, <laughs> I, um, I was absolutely ruled by my heart. I was absolutely ruled by just whatever kind of wind blew over me at the time. And, and so I think as a maturing Christian, understanding that scripture says the heart is deceitful above all else. Who can understand? And even Jesus says, out of the heart come evil thoughts like murder and slander. So the heart can be a very tricky thing. And though Jesus makes our heart new and we are being made new and being conformed to the image of Christ, we are still in broken, fallen, sinful bodies that 
are going to go through mood swings that are sometimes related to a lack of sleep. Sometimes they're related to hormones rising and falling at whim. Um, sometimes they're related to weather changes. I mean, I am absolutely blown away by how many things can absolutely challenge my mood. And I wish it wasn't true. I wish I did not live in a broken body that was so frail and fragile um, and affected by all of these different little things. But I think that all of us, even adults, completely struggle to put our mood in check. And so I think just first of all, recognizing moodiness for what it is and its potential to lead us into sin. I make some of the worst choices and the most sinful and disobedient choices when I am moody. That's when I yell at my kids. That's when I lack self-control. Those are the moments that I'm most likely to disobey the Lord. So I think recognizing the moodiness and its potential to lead us into sin, and then having the desire to flee temptation and to say, hey, even though I feel this way, I know that I'm called to honor God with my body. I know that I am called to obey God even when I don't feel like it. And so just kind of having that awareness and then praying for God to help you when you are feeling tempted. And I think about what Paul says uh, in 2 Timothy. He says, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So the fact that he tells us to flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness tells us that there is a decision to be made when we recognize, hey, this moodiness is leading me down a path that I don't need to go down, rather than kind of what the world is telling us, where it's like, oh, you really want this? Well, just follow your heart. No, don't follow your heart. Your heart will lead you in bad directions. Flee the youthful passions. First Thessalonians 4, 3 says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So that verse tells me that for those of us who know God, we have a calling to care more about sanctification than we care about following our heart and doing what we would do if we didn't know God. I think it's important also to, you know, just mention, you know, sometimes I think when we talk about heart issues, we, again, are tempted to, okay, now I just need to be perfect. Yeah, I understand what's going on. And now I should be able to just flip a switch and, and not, you know, act that wrong way. I think it's, it's helpful if there's a teenage girl listening, and, and you struggle to make those choices in the moment, you know, talk to your mom about it, talk to a mentor, or even a friend, a Christian friend about it and say, you know what, I just shouted at my little brother. And I'm really upset. I got so angry. I hate when I get angry and yell like that. But I just don't know how to change it. Because confessing to one another is one of the ways that the Holy Spirit works within us to transform our hearts. And so getting others involved and not just thinking that you need to be your own coach, as well as the one who's doing all the workouts, you know, so mm -hmm. you, you've got to have others involved in the process. So you know, you know, through what what Lindsay was just saying, you know, in God's word, what God's will and purpose is for you, but fighting, fighting that practically, um, getting others involved who can, who can help you. And you say, you just come and say, Hey, I'm really angry. And I know I shouldn't be angry, but I am. 
And so what am I supposed to do? And then you have someone help you um, and pray with you too. That's important as well to, to get through that moment and learn from it so that you can continue to grow in your ability to respond to problems in a Christ-like way. I think that also, I think that it's helpful to kind of have these conversations like we're having when you're not in the heat of the moment. Right. So if I tried to call out my daughter in the middle of a disagreement, you know, and if she's moody or if I'm moody, whatever it is, and I use that moment to say, you know, you're really supposed to be holy and you're following your heart right now. That's not going to go over well. And she's not going to be in the posture of humility just in the middle of all those emotions. And right. so I think that having those conversations now before we're in an argument or later after the fact when we've both had a chance to kind of take a breath um, and to be able to say, I really don't like how that conversation played out. What could we maybe both have done differently you know, where, where was I wrong? Where did I sin against you and how that progressed? Or, you know, me as the mom being quick to say, Hey, I was not listening in that I was too quick to speak. Will you forgive me? Um, I think that having those kind of conversations later, um, or before has really served me with my two teenagers. And honestly, even with one of my boys, he is approaching 13 and he is very good about coming back after a conversation and saying, you know, I was out of control and I shouldn't have said that. And I'm really sorry. And I think, you know what, as awkward as it was to go through the fight that we just had, I'm so thankful to see the fruit of repentance coming from his life because I wasn't doing that at 12 and 13 that, you know, I was slamming doors and yelling at my parents. And so I think even just seeing our kids learning and practicing that posture of humility and repentance is huge in teaching them how to handle their heart. And, you know, it's important, too, to remember that Christian maturity does not happen overnight. <laughs> We've talked about it a few times during our conversation, but I want to just drive that point home. In fact, I'd like to go as far as to say that it happens over a lifetime. None of us ever arrive this side of heaven, but we grow and bear fruit and are changed over time as we walk with Christ. So what are some of the spiritual disciplines today's teenage Christian girl can pursue in order to fuel her growth? And how important is it for her to do so in the context of Christian community? So this question is particularly poignant for me because I feel like this is a question I would have asked when I was a teenager, but I didn't know to ask it. So I desperately wanted to grow, but I didn't know where to turn. And so I wasn't familiar enough with what spiritual disciplines look like. I wasn't familiar enough with doing so in the context of a Christian community, like you just stated. And so I kind of went to the weirdest possible sources, like to figure out my walk of faith. And I found myself picking up books, just random books off the Christian bookshelf, which is not <laughs> advisable. <laughs> and, you know, and I was just kind of like, you know, I had just, I had weird theology. Like I did not understand the Bible because I had just kind of been gathering bits and pieces and random scriptures in a cultural Christian context as someone who now has kind of walked through the confusion of making sense of Christianity alone, I think it's so important to understand that you are not meant to figure out the Christian walk by yourself. Even if you're a go-getter, even if you're a hard worker, this was never meant to be something that you do on your own. Jesus trained disciples. He brought people along beside him. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so I think the first 
thing that you can do if you are in a place where you really want to grow in godliness and you're just not really sure where to begin is look around in your context and find someone whose walk with Christ you really respect. And you think, wow, she knows Jesus in a way that I don't know Jesus and ask her to help you and say, I just want an older woman to, and it doesn't have to be when I say older woman, I don't mean someone who looks like your grandmother. I mean, anyone who knows Christ and has known Christ longer than you have. So, I mean, if you're 13, an older woman could be 17. If you are, you know, 15, maybe it's an 80 year old, but maybe it's your mom, but just looking for women in your church context, um, or your regular daily life. And you see women that know scripture or that just worship God with their life or they're joyful or they're servant hearted. I mean, finding aspects of their walk with Christ that you want to emulate and you want to say, Hey, can I follow you? So I think spiritual disciplines like Bible reading and going to church and praying are all good things that we want to be a part of. But sometimes when we're first starting out, we don't even know what that looks like to read our Bible. And sometimes when we read our Bible, um, I've had women that I've discipled that have said, Lindsay, I read the Bible. I don't know what it's saying. I cannot make sense of it. And so sometimes we just need a friend that can come along beside us and say, oh, you're struggling because you're starting in Leviticus. Maybe you shouldn't start reading the Bible in Leviticus. Maybe you should start in the Gospel of Mark. And this is what I would do. Um, I think just having someone with their eyes on our life and being able to speak into what's going on in our context and saying, you know, hey, this is hard for you. Let me make it easier. Let me help you know what it looks like to faithfully walk with Christ where you are right now. Making that a habit of getting comfortable in growing in Christ through Christian community is going to serve you well into your adulthood. I mean, mm -hmm. I personally have a mentor that I was just taught. I just spoke with her for an hour yesterday on the phone. Mm -hmm. You know, she's someone who knows she's known me ever since I was a new believer and was baptized. And so she knows all my struggles, all my pains. And I turn to her constantly for advice, for wisdom, for when I'm feeling anxious and I just need someone to say, you know, hey, here's some perspective, everything is going to be fine. We always will need those friendships, regardless of whether we're teenagers or grownups. So we're never going to outgrow our need to have relationships within the body of Christ for the purposes of helping to grow in our godliness. Some of us are not morning people. So when Sunday morning comes and the alarms ring, we really have a hard time getting motivated to go to church. Maybe we don't want to be around people. Maybe we're just tired or perhaps we just don't really feel like worshiping God because we're angry about something that is happening in our lives. Why is it important for us to go to church even when we really, really don't feel like it? So I think that it's important to understand that we are called to meet together as the body of Christ. Um, and scripture says not to abandon meeting together. And so it's not just a suggestion. Jesus doesn't go, you know, if you feel like going to church, that might be a good idea, whatever. You know, we're actually, this is a tool that God has put together for the building up of his people. And, and scripture says that God is building his people on the cornerstone of Christ, we are being built together as the church. So going to church is fulfilling one of the ways that God is sanctifying us and um, making us new and challenging us. And so I think we have to kind of start at a place that goes, you know what, going to church is not about how I feel. It's not about what I'm going to get. 
It is about what we are going to give. So we think about we're going to give on Sunday morning the gift of our love to other people, the gift of our presence, saying, hey, I believe the same gospel that you believe, and I am mutually being encouraged by you. I'm going to give service to other people. I'm going to fellowship with the body of Christ. I'm going to give my praise to God. I'm going to give honor and attention to God's word. So we think of all of the ways that church isn't just about going to say like, hey, this is where I go get my donut on Sunday morning. And this is where I like the the music that they play in my youth group. It is about meeting with God's people and mutually pouring in and receiving, and it all happens together. And you see a lot in the New Testament, it talks about all of the one another commands, love one another, serve one another, forgive one another. All of these things are not things that you can do on your own in your bedroom as a Christian. It's something that you do with the church, with the body of Christ. And so meeting together, whether it's on usually Sunday mornings, is, is something that's incredibly important to the growing Christian. Every Christian for centuries has valued, I mean, historically valued the meeting together of God's people. So you are an important part of this gathering throughout time. So we can't undervalue the meeting together of God's people. Well, mm-hmm. we are now at the end of our show. and every episode, I invite our guest to speak directly to the audience. I hope there is a teenage girl listening today who is curious about what maturing in her faith really means. Maybe she considers herself a Christian, but so far the only difference that label has made in her life is what her Sunday mornings look like. Perhaps she likes the idea of knowing God more, but isn't really sure how to do that. Maybe she feels an internal struggle when she's at school or with friends who try to tempt her into ungodly behaviors. She knows there's a tension between her faith and the world, but she doesn't know why. What would you say to that teenage girl to give her the courage she needs to take her next steps towards growing in godliness through Christ? I would say that there is a Psalm, uh, Psalm 94 that has been very meaningful to me that says, if the Lord had not been my help, my soul would have soon lived in the land of silence. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. That verse specifically reminds me over and over that every time I feel like my foot is slipping, that it is God that holds on to me, that keeps me from falling, that keeps picking me up again. And it is God's word that is going to cheer and lighten my soul. And so when I think about teenage girls that are in the midst of figuring life out, figuring out their faith, I just want you to know that God sees you. He knows your struggles. He knows your needs. He knows what you're crying out and asking him for. And he is intimately involved in figuring out, because he's already figured out, the absolute best ways to call you to himself, to care for you, to provide for you. And he is not missing out on your needs. He knows what you need and he loves you. Keep pressing into God. Keep trying to know God through his word. That is where he will be found. And keep going to church and trying to make connections with Christian women who can challenge you and help you grow in godliness. And pray and seek God in that personal relationship Um, in ways that are just constantly hanging on to him and confessing that you know that he is your help and you know that he is the one who will pull you through and just don't forget that God is not going to let go of you. 
Well, those are really encouraging words, Lindsay. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes to share those with our audience. Now, if somebody is listening today and they want to know how they can get connected to your writing ministry and and other projects you've got going on, where can our audience find you? So lindsaycarlson.net, and I'm an E-Y, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y Carlson. Um, That has some of my writing. It also has connections to my Facebook page, my Instagram, um, and a lot of my articles that are in different places around the internet. Well, very good. Thank you again so much, Lindsay, for taking time today to talk about this really important topic. I hope that the audience listening today really just knows that Lindsay and I, if you're a teenage girl, Lindsay and I care for you. We have teenagers of our own. And we know how hard it is to be a Christian girl in today's culture. And so I just hope that today's conversation was refreshing to you, that you found some hope in it, and that you also found maybe some practical ways that you can get help in pursuing godliness. And then, of course, you want to be sure to check out Lindsay's new book, Growing in Godliness. It's a fantastic resource for you. Visit the show notes in the podcast description, and I will have a link available to Lindsay's book for you as well. So Lindsay, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit faithfulsparrow.com forward slash project. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode, complete with links to Lindsay's book and her website. If you enjoyed today's conversation, I would be so thankful if you left a review for the show on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Be sure to subscribe to be notified when new weekly episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help Project a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. One more thing, if you're looking for gospel hope and help for life's challenging problems, visit faithfulsparrow.com forward slash email. I send my email subscribers weekly biblical counseling resources on rotating topics. From videos, audios, articles, and recommended reading, these emails are designed to equip you to discover gospel hope and help in your own life. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Be sure and join us next time on the Hope and Help Project. 